Well, I got to watch uh, Sean last week talk about uh, Acts chapter 12 and, all, you know, the sheet coming down and teaching us that we're allowed to eat pork and lobster. Does anybody want to say thank you, Jesus? And, uh, and unless God tells you specifically you're not supposed to eat that, you go right ahead and, you know, keep abstaining. But uh, I think I have a pork roast in the oven even as we're here worshiping. <laughs> And what I want to say is, friends, that the book of Acts has so much movement in it to grow us up, to let go of old ways and to embrace new ways, to let God be God on God's own terms and not on our terms, to let God kind of break open some of the things that we have been used to doing, and then we say, oh, God, I guess you're God, and and I think you might know better than I do in this situation. And I love, you know, all the way through. So Sean stopped in 12, and, and we're scooting into 13. But you have to read in between, everybody. Don't miss, like, the big line, you know, the big lines of King Herod persecuting Scripture or, and, and, the, and the people of God and, and the angel delivering uh, Peter from prison and... Uh, then he gets stricken and dies. That's a juicy part of scripture. And then after his death, the word prospers. And then Saul and Barnabas return to Antioch. And then the, they go talk to Gentiles and they preach. And the Gentiles believe, but the Jews abuse Paul, say he's bad. And then they turn back to the Gentiles and more believe. And then Jews raise a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And on and on and on. And friends, it's been going on since the beginning of time. If you watch the, the pattern of the Old Testament, you know, where they know God and then they become apostate and they leave God's ways and then they come back and repent, it happens in this book too, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is so important to our lives to understand that the church is still going on. It began and we are continuing. We are the church right now, still living, moving, and breathing with God's own spirit. And I, I really do love that the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Anybody want some more of that? I would like some joy and more of that. You know, and then you know, sometimes I have difficulty with songs like with a line in it that's like, you um, have never let me down. Because in my own false self, old nature, sometimes I've thought God let me down. Like, what was up with that God? And then later on, you kind of find out the end of the story that you didn't know in the beginning of the story. You know what I'm saying? But I would say, oh, God, I thought you let me down, but then I found out later it was something different, right? But I get to tell God, I thought you let me down, because if you read the Psalms, it's all through there. Wait, what? Right? It's all over the Scripture. But I love that the disciples are filled with joy in the Holy Spirit while they're getting persecuted. You know, while crazy kinds of fun Bible stuff is happening here. So I want to ask you, what word, phrase, or image has taken on new meaning during the days of letting go of your life as you knew it before March? What word or phrase? So, you know, I was leading a, a time with, um, uh, as I think I told you a few weeks ago, with the Human Trafficking Task Force, because, by the way, Crossroads has not stopped working on the issue of slavery all during COVID. Nobody's had a vacation. I just want you to know. Okay, and, and people have not stopped suffering, just so you know. And so when we look at, um, you know, one of this first answer was from someone in a very high up office in our state. And this person said home. 
It used to be the place I returned to. Now it's the place I never leave. <laughs> and I said church, you know, um, because I've watched a lot of people think the church is a building, but, but it's my people. My people, my people, <laughs> right? And I'm going to be so happy to be with you all in the building, but I've been so grateful for the people who've made it possible all throughout this time. Many of them, I wish I could just spin the camera around so that you could see the people that have been working on film and working on sound and, and all those who've prepared bags for little kids and, and people who put, you know, masks together and, and, and did things online. And I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for the people who put, who put the immune compromised and the elderly first this summer because they knew they probably weren't going to be able to come at all in the winter. And so guess what? You can't believe how many people that were on chemo that were in our parking lot that won't be able to come in the building next week, my friends. But we made a way for them to come all summer long. And, I, and every time I saw some of our friends, like Julia Malfeld, and she puts her prayer requests online all the time. So you may know that she is, she is in treatment for cancer, but she was able to be in the back of the parking lot all summer long, lifting her hands, singing, and, you know, she even asked, I mean, I just, anyway, I could go on. So I want to say, what word or phrase or image has taken on new meaning? I want to say the church has taken on new meaning for me. Because when I see people lay down their own preferences to serve other people, I just want to say thank you, Jesus. I, I loved it that Gwen Tab, you know, she's one of our wonderful friends, right? She was able to come. She's got health issues. She was able to sit in her car every week but won't be able to be in next week, my friends. So let's all take turns giving up things. Amen? And then we become like Christ. Then we actually get a new way of seeing a word. So I want you to think about it. Write it down. What word or phrase has taken on new meaning during the days of letting go? Just, just think about that. Because God is doing a new thing in us. And we are going to emerge with what the Paschal Mystery calls resurrection life. If we allow stuff to die in us that is keeping us from loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Thanks be to God. I love what Theodore Roosevelt said. Are you guys ready for this? It is not the critic who counts, not the one who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done better. The credit belongs to the one who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends themselves in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if they fail, at least fails while daring greatly? Don't you guys love that line? So that their place shall never be with those cold, timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. So this is Theodore Roosevelt. Just changing pronouns to bring it up to date because we don't have all men in the room that are daring greatly, but lots of humans. <laughs> and, and I just want to say, oh, Lord Jesus, let us be those people who dare greatly. I want to say the people in this room have dared greatly. 
and we're going to keep daring greatly, and we're also going to keep loving one another in all the ways God intends. I want to draw your attention to the first line, it's not the critic who counts. Can you say it? It's not the critic who counts. So yesterday I get this um, text from the group text that we sent out, and uh, this person replied to our text letting them know that we were going to be inside because it was raining and we're not going back outside till next week. So this person wanted to respond. Oh, look, I lost it. You are really lucky. I'm only kidding. Um, But basically, the person said, I'm really glad to keep receiving these texts because it reminds me of who the fearful church is. And I'm worried about a church like yours, that when the real persecution happens, where are you going to go? Where are you going to be? If you can't come to church... When there's a pandemic, you're letting the spirit of fear guide you. So I wrote back, and I just said, thank you, God bless you. And, um, and I just want to let you know what all the people that you're calling cowards have been doing, well, since March. You know, going to hospice with people who are dying, going to see people who had COVID, taking care of people who were ill, providing for the poor, and the foodless, and making an open sky service for people who wouldn't be able to go inside. Here's what all your cowards were doing since March. And, uh, and, I, and I said, you're right, we do not have a spirit of fear, but what we do is we, we, want, we want to be humble and serve the whole body. And when there is one that's hurting, they come first. So all of the strong people, right, you do what you do, right, when you can do it, but we're going to take care of those that need it first. That is the church, my friend, and it is not the critic who counts. Come on, say it. It's not the critic who counts. There is healing for the chronic critique syndrome, and it's called get in the arena. Get bloody, get sweaty with us, right? Come and do what God's called each of us to do. It will be different. We'll be very different. I love that there are people that have offered to do some other kinds of things during the week because they can't come in on Sunday. I love that. And I love that we've said to everybody, including our elders who have laid down their lives for this church on more than one occasion, that if they can't come in the house because they will be in danger, we want to give them the freedom to say they can't come because it's about the body. Everybody, it's about the body. And I think about it, you know, in 2010, Scott and I went to uh, Haiti after the earthquake, and we preached in Laogon, where the epicenter of the earthquake was, underneath a, a tarp with the worst sound system in the world. And all these people were living in boxes with uh, USAID tarps over the top. And, and one of the things that Scott and I said is, you know, what would happen, like, if we had an earthquake? Who would show up and help? And would, would we be able to go to church in ways that we had never gone to church before? Would be, we, we, you know, you know, you've been to Papua New Guinea, Tammy. I mean, would we go to church in a box? Right? I mean, the church is about the head, who is Christ, and the body who shows up for one another in all the ways that God invites us to. You want to know there is healing for chronic critique syndrome, my friends. And it's called get in the arena. Get in the arena, get dirty, get bloody, get sweaty, right? In the way that God calls you to do it. It will be different for every human being. Amen? 
Amen. And I was laughing about it. It's like, okay, so you're calling our elders cowards. Let me list the cowards. The bronze medal, Charles Theodorovich and the Purple Heart. Oh, and Sean Lorridge, MSP, who put his life on the line for you for 25 years. And Jacques Short, who's working with some of the most disadvantaged people in the state right now in the state right now through Michigan Rehabilitative Services. So anyway, dare I go on, I might just have a bone to pick. But you know what gives me permission? Read the epistles of Paul. It's like you want to accuse us of not being in the arena? You just haven't been with us to know that we've been in the arena. Amen? And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So, oh God, fill us with the Holy Spirit and joy. Amen? Let's, let's have that. See, I love Parker Palmer and I'm going to invite you all to go on outside uh, after this is over or send your kids out right now to get a leaf. Because there, that beautiful poem that, that uh, Tesh uh, read to us about autumn, you know, it's a way of letting go. At autumn, you, you know, some people would say, if you could describe life in one word, you might be like Forrest Gump and say, life is like a box of chocolates. But others of us would say it's like seasons. And we see the seasons in the book of Acts where the religious people were always the critiquers. You ever notice that? Right? And so there's like tons of critique. Like the, the world didn't understand it, so they felt like they had to kill off the people because they were worried, you know, that they were going to take over. But the critiquers from our own family, you know, let's not do that to each other, friends. Let's get in the arena. Let's realize that there is a metaphor for life, and it's called seasons. Can everybody say seasons? Oh, and we all love some seasons better than another, and we can all say we saw God, you know, in fruitfulness and abundance and fecundity and all those great words, right? But then there's fall and the foreboding of winter coming our way, like, oh, Lord, in your mercy for all of us that live in Michigan. But listen to what Parker Palmer said. And if you know about Parker Palmer, he's, he has suffered with clinical depression. And he's written some of the most beautiful books I've ever read, like Let Your Life Speak. And, and, and so this is one of the things he's written in his book, A Hidden Wholeness. Autumn is a season of great beauty, but it's also a season of decline. The days grow shorter, the light is suffused, and summer's abundance decays towards winter's death. Faced with this inevitable winter, what does nature do in autumn? She scatters the seeds that will bring new growth in the spring. And she scatters them with amazing abandon. If the autumnal events of my own experience, I am easily fixated on surface appearances, on the decline of meaning the decay of relationships, the death of work, and yet, if I look more deeply, I may see the myriad possibilities being planted to bear fruit in some season to come. The hopeful notion that living is hidden within dying is surely enhanced by the visual glories of autumn. What artist would ever have painted a season of dying with such vivid palette if nature had not done it first? Right? I mean, are you guys looking at these pictures? I mean, fall has this vivid palette that says, get ready. Does death possess a beauty that we who fear death, who find it ugly and obscene, cannot see? 
How shall we understand Autumn's testimony that death and elegance go hand in hand? There is in all visible things a hidden wholeness. In the visible world of nature, a great truth is concealed in plain sight. Diminishment and beauty and darkness and light and death and life are not opposites. They are held together in the paradox of hidden wholeness. I mean, this is the book of Acts, everybody. Joy and the Holy Ghost, persecution, craziness, it's all there. In retrospect, I can see in my own life what I could not see at the time. How the job I lost helped me find the work I needed to do. How the road closed sign turned me toward the terrain I needed to travel. How losses that felt irredeemable forced me to discern meanings I needed to know. Isn't that a good word? So, like, if you got a leaf out, you could write a meaning you needed to know during COVID. What meaning did you need to know during this time when church did not look like it used to look? What is the meaning? And then write it down with a, you know, permanent marker. Keep it in your Bible so that you remember when things are falling and changing color, they're scattering seed. On the surface, it seemed that life was lessening, But silently and lavishly, the seeds of new life were always being sown. There is in all visible things a hidden wholeness. In the visible world of nature, a great truth is concealed in plain sight. Diminishment and beauty, darkness and light, death and life are not opposites. They're held together in the paradox of the hidden wholeness. When we so fear the dark that we demand light around the clock... There can be only one result, artificial light. Let me read that again. When we so fear the dark that we demand light around the clock, there can be only one result, artificial light, that is glaring and graceless, like that thing that's going in my eyes right now. And beyond its borders, a darkness that grows ever more terrifying as we try to hold it off. Split off from each other, neither darkness nor light is fit for human habitation. But if we allow the paradox of darkness and light to be, the two will conspire to bring wholeness and health to every living being. It's true. So I'm just going to ask you a question. Are you a solar Christian or a lunar Christian? Are you a Christian who demands sunlight all the time, or are you a Christian who welcomes the moon and the light of the moon and the moon shadow? Are you a Christian that demands that it be the season of fecundity and abundance, or can we also see that things are dying at appropriate seasons in order for the paschal mystery of death, burial, and resurrection to come? Jesus Christ embodied this for us, friends, that death never has the last word. But death can bring forth new life when we find out what needs to die in us. Amen. So, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and he was buried with his ancestors. So get this, you ain't dying till God's ready for you to be done with what you're supposed to do. Let me just say that to begin with, right? And, and you know, what I want to say is, as Scott and I we were reading um, from What's His Noodle Today, honey, about is it trusting God or are you just stupid? Carrie Neewolf sent out an article to pastors today. Are you really trusting God or are you just only being stupid? And so he's actually asking pastors, how, what is God asking you to do? Do that and trust God. 
right? Don't look at these people and say they're doing it wrong or they're doing it wrong. But just know that David, when he served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. And he was buried with his ancestors. I am convinced, and I've asked God regularly, just kill me, Jesus, if I ever get in the way of the gospel. Would you please just kill me? I, I, you know, I'll welcome a comet, I'll, you know, whatever. I mean, I will go home if I ever get in your way. I never want to get in your way. Now, let me just say this. I've been in the arena, so I'm sweaty, bloody, and have done it wrong. But I want to ask you something. What is the purpose for your life? And if we know our purpose, if we know our meaning, then we know that until that is finished, we're here. If the challenge of these days were to go on forever, do you know your purpose? If this was to go on for another little while, everybody, or forever, do you know your purpose and what God wants you to do right now with this one and only fabulous life God's given you? And what virtue would you like to see emerge in you? I'm going to keep asking that all the way through because I don't want the vices to be emerging in me and becoming greater. I want the virtue of Christ to be coming alive in us and in our church. And let me say this one more time, and I'll say it a lot more times. Focus on that. Your energy will follow your focus. If you focus on what God is birthing in you out of the things that are dying, you'll get over the chronic critique syndrome. And you'll be willing to say, oh God, may it be as you intend. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Oh God, may it be as long as you intend. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And I want you to know that with this dear person's letter, I just let her know, I'm not going to judge you as you have judged us. But I, and so here's my phone number. And I'd love to have a conversation with you because friends, what we don't need are, are Pharisees. Amen. I don't want to be one, and I can be if I'm not careful, right? If I'm not saying the virtue I want. So, Scott, do you have any questions for me before I close? <laughs> anything I didn't say that you think I might have needed to say? And is there anything you want, oh, I'm, is there anything you want Bruce to edit out? Okay. So you wouldn't say it right now anyway. So, my friends, it's only the beginning of something. While leaves fall and seeds die, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies in the ground, it bears much fruit, and fruit that will remain if it is God. And so, can we just bless you? First of all, let's all just say to God, God, forgive me for all the ways I've been a critiquer in these days. And God, will you forgive me for the ways that I've critiqued anyone who doesn't see it the way I see it? Forgive me. Can you just say that to God? God, forgive me. And now I want to say to you, may, may God forgive you and Christ renew you and the Spirit enable you to grow in love and faith and hope. And God, we pray that as we bless our friends today, that we become regular readers of the scripture, that it might disturb us and awaken us, that it might deal with the ways that we might be living just like the early church. And then may we then again ask again for forgiveness. Receive the forgiveness of God and walk 
as the people of God, a reflection of your glory ever transforming from faith to faith and glory to glory. Amen.